This is Master Griot Radio, channel 13 on your NBBTA internet radio dial. I'm Jacqueline Taylor Adams, and I am your host for this moment in time. It's time for purpose-driven words, shaping thoughts, building minds, true wealth, communities, and legacies. If my words had wings, they'd fly to you each day. Good evening. This is Faith McKinney. I am host of Beyond Talk Radio with, along with uh, Mr. Gregory Merriweather and our producer, Ms. Jacqueline Taylor-Adams. And we welcome you tonight to the third episode of Beyond Talk. We have a wonderful show for you this evening. We have our special guest, Mr. Nathaniel A. Turner. And we have Herschel Daniel, our digital drummer spotlight. And also we have Sylvia Nespa-Harmon as well. Uh, the, uh, she's a presenter of the Art of Vending. So we have an action-packed show today, and I can't wait to get started. Ms. Jacqueline Taylor-Adams, are you here with me? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. All right, all right. Well, I think it's just a girls' night tonight. I'm not okay. sure if Mrs. Merriweather's going to join us, but we are going to have a great time. We have a very special guest, um, and we're going to we're going to introduce it a little bit later. But um, let's talk about what the um, what why we're here, why we have Beyond Talk Radio. Do you mind sharing with with our audience about? Um, the Black Economic and Entrepreneurship Development Conference, why we're doing Beyond Talk Radio, why we're, we're letting um, people know about um, this conference. Can you okay, share with us? Okay, well, yes. Well, Beyond Thank Talk you. with Faith Moore McKinney and Gregory Merriweather, it is the official radio broadcast of the Black Economic and Entrepreneurship Development Conference and Expo. And it is a year-long experience, and we're beginning with the virtual experience. So we're um, doing radio, and we'll be doing some wonderful video solution casts. And they're all focused around our cornerstones, which is entrepreneurship development economic development and when we say economic development we mean from a you know a city regional um national and global you know economic development and um so what we're looking to focus at those are you know two of our strongest cornerstones and what we are really looking at um doing with Beyond Talk for this year and then even more next year, but we're focusing in on our, we have like four segments, our entrepreneur um, segment, which tonight our guest is Nathaniel Turner, and then we have the digital drummer. Um, The BEEDC, the conference co-producers, the Urban Tech Fair, and last year we um, lost the founder visionary for the Urban Tech Fair, Mr. Jim Newson, a.k.a. the Digital Drummer. Since the 70s, he's been called the Digital Drummer. 
So in honor of him and his work, we had the Digital Drummer Spotlight, and there was spot, spotlighting blacks in technology. There are a wealth of wonderful people in technology and science and math, and so we're going to spotlight those people who aren't, you know, not only just are in technology, but they they use the technology and they use their knowledge for good. So those people who drum digitally, we're going to be spotlighting those people, and tonight that will be Herschel Daniels. And then we want to showcase our presenters. Um, we were hoping to do our live in 2016, but now the live is going to be in 2017. But we have some great presenters contact us, some great entrepreneurs and businesses. So beyond talk, is we're able to showcase them. And one of our presenters is Sylvia Nesba. She has the Inspira Arts Academy, where um, she teaches people how to do head wraps. Um, how to um, make them and then how to show customers how to use them. But her biggest gift is vending. Oh, she has such a science to vending and how you make a living through vending that she's going to share with us the art of vending today. So that's the purpose of Beyond Talk is to be one of the platforms to showcase what you will experience. And as we are in August, what I want all of our entrepreneurs to keep in mind, and we'll talk about more of this next next show in Episode 4, but this is time for the holiday season. Between May and July, as businesses, we should have all our plans prepared for the holiday season. Now, the holiday season is definitely opportunities to earn additional revenue. And we know people go from being in the red to being in the black over the the Christmas holiday season. It is a time when people buy and shop. And we as businesses are leaving too much money on the table because we're not prepared. With technology the way it is now, people are... You know, they're shopping, comparing, they're preparing much earlier. By next month, 40% of people will start shopping online for the holiday season. That's crazy, isn't it? Yes. It's crazy. And then with, with the technology that we have today, I mean, it's so, so, so much easier to, to get, well, to send your money for one thing, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, to... To make sure to as a vendor, as shop. A, exactly. So you want to make sure you you have good quality products and you want to have great service and um, you know these you want are to get all your message out there. Yeah. Exactly. Right and now how do you people, stand out? Yeah. Right now, people are, have, they're uh, going to everything. start making their list. <laughs> so you want to be able to get on their list so when they are ready to spend. They'll think of you. So we don't want you to wait till November when you think, okay, it's Black Friday. I'm going to let everybody know it's November. I know I had a sale. Those people started planning mm-hmm. their money back in September. They so, did. They did. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we want to. I can't wait to talk to Ms. Sylvia Nespa uh, about vending. That, that's really fascinating because you don't, you don't really think about it unless you're, an entrepreneur, you don't necessarily think about 
vending and, and you know, the timing of, of your sales and, you know, what's coming up next. You know, you're, you're actually needing to think, you know, six six months ahead of time. But, you know, yeah. that's at least six months ahead of time. So yeah. I'm excited to see her. Yeah, so, yeah, we have a, just a, a great show, and um, we hope maybe you give us a brand tip somewhere in there when we do our call to do. Maybe you'll give our audience some branding tips. Um, at least give them Absolutely. one tip. <laughs> <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah, this I, is going to be fun to speak with, 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 with Sylvia, you know, when you're, when you're talking about standing out on on online and, and even face-to-face, it's, you know, you need to, to pre- prepare and to uh, provide the same uh, great service and the same uh, uh, top-of-mind factor. You have, to, you have to be top of mind. You don't want to have to, um, I guess, introduce yourself every single time, but, you know, we want people to see you over time. There are, like, uh, studies done that say it takes 7 to 12 touches before people actually decide to purchase, but now it's even more because of the Internet and because of, you know, people's attention span is so short. It's taking at least twice that. So you have to make sure that you're in front of people um, more often and, you know, find your target audience and, and, you know, court them throughout the year so that when when it's time to buy, there won't be a question. They know who you are, they like you, and they trust you. Yeah, and but that's if, a little if brand would, tip. <laughs> yeah, if, if if we would just think of it the same way ourselves, if some if you walked out your house right now and you ran into someone and they say, "Here, buy this," if you don't know them, you're gonna kind of look at them, and you're like, they may hand you something. You're like, okay, but you're like, I don't know you. Who are you? You know, all these questions automatically go through your head. So if that happens to you, imagine how people you're reaching out to are. So, um, you know, this is the social selling isn't really about selling. Now we're, you know, into the it's not convince and convert anymore. It's converse and convert. So we had to put the social back in to social media, social selling. And um, so those are some things just we're going to talk about the rest of this year. You know, with a goal, we want to go beyond talk. We don't just want to talk about it. We're going to be giving you, you know, calls to action, and, and we want to see that you're implementing them. Because we're going to have another exciting, exciting announcement in September, but September some strong things going on. We're going to kick off our Solution Cast series with about event technology, talking about events. Technology has just taken events to a whole nother level, and you can do so much more for less. You know, it doesn't necessarily cost as much because of technology. You can just leverage technology to create a bigger, more interactive um, presentation. So mm-hmm. we're going to just do a whole solution, Cass, and, we're going to bring social tables out, but just about event technology. Because, you know, for the holiday season, there are going to be all kinds of events. You're either going to be doing them as a vendor or you're going to be hosting them. And, you know, events are just very prevalent during the holiday season. So let's learn about the technology and, you know, let's get up to speed on it. So we want to make sure that our 
you know, our people, our businesses, entrepreneurs are up to speed on what's going on, on the latest technology, how they can leverage it, and we want to do our best to help. So we're really planning something super special. I'm going to make an announcement in September, but to really help our All businesses right. and our laypersons really capitalize off the holiday season. So um, we're just, you know, excited about that, but. I want to hear from yeah. Daniel, and he's on the line. Oh, my goodness. Now, Jacqueline Taylor, Adam, guess who? I, I met Nathaniel Turner back about three months ago, and it, it we immediately clicked. I had no – this dude runs very deep. He's a still water that runs deep. And when I began to talk to him and found out what he amazing things he's done um, in raising his son – so intentionally, I said, man, the world needs to know about what you're doing. The world needs to know about how you have raised literally a Superman, you know. So he wrote a book called Raising Superman, and he speaks all over the country. He's invited to the top, um, where the top minds go, you know, where the, the, uh, the Bill Gates are, the, those conventions that, that uh, include the top educators. He's invited to these conferences. He has a seat at, at the table. So, um, you know, I wanted him to share with us, you know, how he raised a son who has not only been accepted to Ivy League schools and every every university and college that he's applied to, but he is working with and being courted by companies like Google, uh, even in as he is in college. So, you know, he he has the, he has a solution. You know. He has uh, he has something here, and I think that the world needs to know. You know, we're building and growing tech tech babies, and you know, he he knows how to make them Superman, super babies, super uh, <laughs> men and women. And I'm really excited to to talk with him. Yeah, I know a lot so of parents really want to listen in. Yes, I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Yes, I'm I'm here. I'm here. How are you? I'm good. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, Nathaniel, tell, should, should, can I call you Nate or you want me to call you Nathaniel? Yeah, come you? on. The only person calls me Nathaniel is my mom when she's mad at me, so <laughs> I don't suspect you all going to be mad at me tonight. So, Nate, please. Okay, Nate, thank you so much for joining us. You know, I, I'm, I'm so interested and I'm so excited to have you. When I met you, I just knew, I said, you are somebody that I need to know and somebody the world needs to know. And I've been doing my best to get you out here. So I appreciate you joining us today. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you got started on your quest to raise this super baby? Naeem, your son, is is just amazing. And uh, what what gave you the impetus to to do this and, and you know, tell everyone where this started. Right. So, so you know, I'm I'm originally from Gary, Indiana, and um, I have two parents who neither one of them were college educated, and my, a couple of my grandparents hadn't finished high school. And as I told everybody, everything that I've ever accomplished, that I accomplished, was was by luck. And when when my wife told me um, one morning in October, like 4:30 in the morning, that it's plus it's plus that we were going to have a baby. 
um, it, it just sort of immediately stuck that everything I'd ever done good had happened by luck, and that just wasn't a, a formula for raising a child. And so we decided at that point to do something different, and we wrote Harvard for an application. And when we got the application, it indicated there were, there were three things that we, we extracted from the application that we thought we needed to make sure he was capable of doing. One was, of course, to be able to attend Harvard, you need to do well academically. And secondly, the thing we noticed that Harvard encouraged people to to um, be global citizens, so we figured he probably needed to learn at least one additional language. And then, then finally, the, the, or the third thing that we extracted from the application was that um, they cared about people who cared about something greater than themselves. So we knew we needed to make sure we had a child who, who cared about something that was bigger than him, who had a, a social consciousness and believed in social justice and so forth. So. That's sort of where we started. Um, if you had been in my house when we, when he was an infant, you would have, like many people who visited, would have thought we were out of our mind rather than playing nursery rhymes. Uh, we played language tapes. Um, you could walk through the room and you might hear someone speaking in German. You might hear someone speaking in Japanese or French or Spanish. But we started to learn about how the brain functions and, and the way to get the brain introduced to languages, so we did that. We had big pictures and and words and colors and all kind of things we did to increase his vocabulary. So we say that by the, his first two months of life, he had spoken his first words. But clearly by the time he was 11, he was speaking the full sentences. By one, he was using his own computer. And so we just kept sort of pressing the envelope um, that way until, you know, until it was time for him to, to go to college. Well, actually, you know, at 16, he moved to Brazil to chase his dream of playing professional soccer. So he was able to leave high school early. Um, but that's what we've always done. We've always pushed the envelope, thinking about where he wants to be in the future as opposed to just focusing on the present. Wow. So tell us about some of some of his accomplishments. I, I think they're absolutely phenomenal. And to get the results, you know, you have a proof of concept here. Right. And to get these results, and you said it wasn't luck. You, you, you did it intentionally. Right. And you recorded your your um, your process. Um, tell us the results uh, that your son. You said he moved to Brazil to follow his dream to play yep. soccer. Uh, that's yep. not all. What what else have he, did he accomplish? Well, he was fluent in he's fluent in, in three languages. Um, he he yeah he's fluent in in Spanish, Portuguese, and English. He's also multiliterate, which means he. Um, is able to to code in several different uh, computer languages. He was able to do all of that stuff before even before he even arrived on on a college campus. He started his own foundation when he was 14 called the Social Justice League. He was concerned about teens who were were homeless, and so he wanted to do something to help try to eradicate teen homelessness. Um, he kept he led a couple of campaigns to collect uh, gently and, and gently worn and new clothes for for homeless teens. He did that for a few years. Um, he published his own book, wrote his own book, published his own book because he also cares about childhood literacy. And so he wrote a book called What Are We Going to Do Today to encourage parents to spend more time with their children and to make sure that children were, were early early readers. Um, he won a couple um, – he, he won lots of track medals in, in high school and in and, and junior high school and, and grade school. He was uh, finished second in the nation in the 400, I think when he was 12, and maybe um, 
fourth in 800, or maybe I have those reversed, but because it's been some time now. He applied to 27 of America's top schools, and he was admitted to 24. He was a National Science Foundation Award recipient. I mean, he sort of the list of things go on. And I, and, yeah, so um, he's done a lot in, in now his short 21 years. Do and and so you have um, you, you mentioned earlier that you wrote to Harvard to right. see you, you wanted an application to see what are the requirements to get into a school like Harvard so that you knew how to raise your child right correct well at least it, certainly from from the right. academic portion yep mm-hmm. yes okay so the academic portion so so sort of like um, um, reverse uh, yeah. Reverse engineering or backward design. Reverse engineering. Act, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, absolutely. Reverse engineering, um, you raise your child. Instead of waiting for him to get to, to you know, to be a, a eighth grader and say, oh, well, um, let's start considering college, you started while he was still in utero. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. That's, that's correct. <laughs> that's Planned Parenthood right there. <laughs> yeah. Planned we- Parenthood. Yeah, didn't know if we were having a boy or girl, but it didn't it didn't matter. Um, we we just knew that we needed to make sure we had a plan for him, and and so like that's one of the things you know that I try to now share with other families. Um, I'm real concerned about the state of education in this country, and I'm particularly concerned about the state of education as it relates to African American children. And I think a lot of families, and I shouldn't say I think, I know a lot of families are being, in the words of Malcolm X, hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray, run amok. Um, what we believe is great education is not great education. Um, schools that tout themselves as magnet schools, schools that tout themselves as preparing kids globally are are not doing that. They're, they wouldn't know what those what those um what those words actually meant in some cases if someone hit them upside the head with those words. I mean, really, our, our our children are being done a huge disservice, and that's the kind of thing I want to make sure parents understand so that they, they'll know um, if their child is actually getting a quality education. And if the, the school is not capable of doing that, I want them to have the tools to do it with or without the school. Well, what are some of those differences? When, when you say, you know, our magnet schools and our college preparatory schools aren't doing what they should be doing, can well, you can you list just a few of those things that we're not getting that we think we're we're yes. we're getting? So so let me say because I know it sounds like a broad stroke uh, statement and and it's not my statement and I would tell parents all the time uh, take a look at the the most recent results from the ACT College Readiness Report and it'll show that I believe the number this year is six percent which means only 6% of African-American children. There are four benchmarks that the ACT looks at. They look at reading, writing, math, and science. They looked, first, here's the first thing they, that you'll notice. 62% of all black children who took the ACT test were found to not be able to be proficient in any of those benchmarks. That's zero, none, not reading, not writing, not math, not science, zero, 62% of our children. Only 6% of our children were proficient in the four things. So that's 94% of our children who don't meet the standard for, for college and career readiness. Now, there are lots of schools that are educating kids, and they're all claiming that they're doing a great job, or at least most of them are. And I just would say, well, how could we all be doing a great job when only 6% are found to be proficient? Mm. Again, wow. those are not, these are not my statistics. These are not my numbers. You can, you can look at the SAT numbers. You can look at the ACT numbers. And here's what families will tell you. They'll tell you those tests are biased. And, and et cetera. But listen, if you know something is biased, if you've known that historically for a long time, don't you do something 
to, to, to account for the bias? If there was a pothole in the road, would you keep driving into the pothole? Or would you find a way to drive around it or drive over it, right, fill it up? But you wouldn't keep falling in it and saying, I don't know why I keep falling in this hole. I mean, most of our families don't do anything with our children for the first four, five, six years of, of a child's life. In Indiana, a child doesn't have to attend school until I think they're age six or seven. So most families, what do they do with kids until they're five or six? They take them to an auntie's house or grandmother's house, or they send them to some preschool or some daycare, most often some daycare. And what happens at those places? Is there learning going on? Because 80% of the brain is developed by the time a child is four. So parents miss a great opportunity to help develop their children's brain. And so by the time you show up as a five- or six-year-old against a child whose parents have been doing things with their child for the first four or five or six years of their life, then the children who, who show up are so far behind that it's so, almost impossible okay. to ever catch up. Yeah, that, and that's, that's true. Um, so we, we want to talk about some solutions because, you know, I know you have some, some solutions, and, yeah. and can you tell us about some results that you've had with other, other kids? So it depends on what, what age you're talking about. So if I, if I was to, to speak to someone who, let's say, who was considering having a child, like the very first thing I would advise families to do was to decide where they wanted their child to go to school. I know it sounds, uh, maybe sounds premature, but I would write to school, find out what the, or you don't have to write to school these days. I'd look online and see what the requirements were, and I'd start to make sure that we'd start to do things to get the child ready for that. So, for example, I would I would read and sing and dance and play with a child as much as possible. I would do things that were engaging. I wouldn't let a baby just sort of lay by themselves or watch the television. I would try to do things that were engaging. I would talk to them all the time. In fact, I would increase and fa- encourage pa- parents to increase their own vocabulary because the, the, the greater the vocabulary of the parents, then the, obviously the greater vocabulary of the child because the child is going to be spoken to. But if you're talking about a child that's, that's slightly older, I still would use the same strategy. I would backward design everything. I'd, I'd want to know, as we always want to know, where it is we want to go. I mean, you and I don't get into a car and, and make a trip, a long journey, and not have an idea where we're going. And if we were driving, we certainly would have a GPS. We'd have some method uh, to tell us how to get from point A to point B. And I, I make sure parents have that as well. Um, I know you're probably referring to, you said, what kinds of things would I tell them? And we're probably talking about the academic success strategy that, that Naeem and I have developed. But telling parents of sort of like the value of having a child stand while they're reading or studying as opposed to sitting because the brain is much more efficient when you do that. I want to say it's about 17% more efficient. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us about that? I know your son, Naeem, um, and uh, has a lot of um, what I would consider to be rules, but they're not necessarily rules to him. Um, tell us how, how this um, actually works and, and how he, um, your son Naeem, is, is really just guided by those. Okay, so, so Naeem was an athlete, right, for a number of years, and one of the things that you know about athletes and certainly athletes who are really serious about their craft, and he was very serious about his craft. He moved to Brazil to chase his dream, so that goes to show you sort of the seriousness of that. But, you know, when athletes uh, before a game, the night before, coaches tell athletes what to do. They tell them, you know, to be hydrated. They tell them, you know, uh, 
uh, the, what kinds of things not to drink, what kind of foods to avoid eating. There's a list of things that athletes are to do and things that they do during the game time. Well, as a student, we thought the same thing was important. So we developed a system called the ASS or Academic Success Strategy, which gave him 18 things to do each day. And the day begins, every day begins for him with an affirmation. So he repeats four times each day about the kind of person he is, about the kind of student that he is. He tells himself that there are no limits to what he's able to accomplish and that he's the, he has the power to master everything. He does that four times every day. That's the first thing he does when he starts the day. He also uh, reaffirms his goals each day, so he does that when he wakes up. Um, he does that when he wakes up. He does that before each class. He does that before studying. He does that before bedtime. And, you know, these things are all, all you know, hugely important because they tell the mind, you know, what you're capable of doing. And so that's just a part of his, his uh, daily makeup. Um, he stands up when he studies. In fact, he has a, a standing desk. And not only does the standing desk improve your memory by about 10%, but it also helps children because we also deal with this childhood obesity issue. So children who stand typically can burn about 300 more calories than children who sit. And so it also increases your uh, mental alertness and helps you be more engaged and less fidgety and all those kind of things. So we do those things included. Uh, we also watch what he eats because there are certain foods that are, that are better for the brain than other foods are. And uh, and I know that can be tip, uh, t difficult for families, especially our families, because we typically live in, a lot of us live in food deserts, so it's hard to get real good whole foods. But if you can, um, th those are certainly much better for your brain than any processed foods. So I can you can tell me to stop whenever, because um, there's, no, like no, said, there's, Nate, <laughs> there's 18 things. 18. There, we, we drink water. These things um, are so important. And, and if you have these listed, or is it something that's going to be in a book for our um, listeners later, or, um, you know, should we just, like, write it down or just remember <laughs> these things? Because, no, I, can, I, I mean, I can. you know, standing, I never would have thought that standing up to study could help you, you know, remember. And, of course, you know, burning of the calories, uh, you're using those muscles, but you know who'd have thought? Yeah, standing does help. In fact, if it looks look at some of the, historically, if you look at some of the greater great civilizations, you look like the Greeks and the Romans, et cetera, during the time of their uh, their greatness. What you would notice in many of those cases that the that the Socrates and Aristotle's and Plato's of the world they walked. They walked and had conversations. They didn't sit. They they walked. And so uh, I don't know if they knew it, but certainly it's true, science has proven it, that we're all better off when we stand or when we're moving. It's better for our brain than it is when we sit. Um, an additional thing we do is make sure he drinks adequate amount of water. Um, our bodies are made up about 60 to 75% water, and so when we don't drink water, the very first thing that happens with a body, you know this, is if you if you participate in any sport, you're liable to become dehydrated and have cramps. Well, people forget that the brain is also a muscle, and the first thing to become dehydrated on the body is the brain. So we encourage him to drink um, at least eight ounces of water for every 25 pounds of his body weight. So if he's a 150-pound male, Right, he's going to drink at least uh, six eight-ounce glasses of water, so that's 48 ounces of water at a minimum. That's just for his brain. That doesn't include any other activity. He knows he has to do that. Um, and when he does that, it makes you 
more efficient. It makes your brain about 14% more efficient. So now think I've just told you if you stand, that's 10%. If you're drinking water, that's 14%. So now you're 24%, almost 25% more efficient than you would be by doing none of those things. And if you're a student and you're earning a C and you can suddenly do 25% better than you had before, then your student is now doing a, then earning a B. And if you're a B student, you're now a student who's potentially earning earning an A. And just by doing, you know, these kind of things, uh, incorporating these things into your daily study habits. Wow. So, okay, you you raised Naeem and from you know in utero to how old is he now? He's 20, he just turned 21. He just turned 21. 21. Okay, yep. so you raised him, you know, to to a grown man. So can you transfer this um, system to others, and have you done it, and what, what has been your result if you have? Right. So, yes, yeah, so we can because um, um, backward design works for, for any child, um, and we've done that. But last year we decided to stop waiting for permission from schools or from community organizations or from churches or anyone to, to invite us in to show them how to do this. We decided to do our own program. So last year we held our first series of classes called the Great Parenting Strategy, and we taught parents this very thing. We taught parents, um, you know, how to help their children academically, but we also asked parents to take a look at themselves. Like, I'm a firm believer that um, you can judge the, the fruit. Um, I'm sorry, you judge the tree by the fruit that it bears. And I'm a firm believer that parents have to have a lot more responsibility for the outcomes of their children. Um, we're a nation of outsources. We like to give everyone else permission to do everything and hold everyone else responsible for our, for our children. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's clearly our responsibility because if something were bad to happen, the first thing people want to do is they point to the parent and wonder what kind of what kind of parenting that child had. So we work with parents so the parents will be more engaged and know how to help, but we also help students or children to be the, the best of uh, them that they could possibly be. And that includes the academic portion, but also showing them and preparing them to be global citizens. That's amazing. Okay, I, I I think I have Mr. Gregory Merriweather on the phone too. Gregory, are you there? Let me open up the line. All right, I'm thank gonna, you. I, I'm gonna open up the line, and while I'm I getting, I know he to has the, a bunch of questions. And while I'm getting to the studio, I just wanted to share with everyone what um, Mr. Turner is saying is not really just for children. If you just look at the trends now, be, um, because when you, you know, it's a secretary or a lot of times we work at the computer, we sit a lot. But the trends mm -hmm. now are the standing desk because they yep. are healthier. Um, um, and as far as our education, I'm just so glad you said that because so many people, I'm from Philadelphia, are just protesting our school system. And I'm just done with it. It was bad when I was in it. Right. And it just, when I was in I mean, I did well. But I felt so bad because if you didn't do well, you're treated differently. Actually, the neighborhood high school, which I didn't attend, they had a magnet program, a motivational. If you weren't in magnet or motivational, you know what they called you? You were in general population. Mm. Wow. That's wow. a prison term. Right. Mm -hmm. Wow. I just couldn't believe it. And it's, it was three girls of, you know, when I, when I moved here later, they already lived. But, you know, the two girls came and greeted me and 
we, you know, from like 12 years old, we hung together. But by high school, you know, it was just such a disparity. <laughs> and like one lived next door and the other one lived like two feet away. But just because the one had a C average, the one had maybe a B average, and I was tested in um, school, you know, with a high IQ. So I always mm-hmm. got put in special programs. But even that, um, they don't really fear. If any of, like, I'm not even talking about them, even if I, um, my school was challenging, but I even actually took those classes. It's not what they just asked me. I, I look for, because my high school had a lot of different nationalities, and I consider myself, I was behind. I wasn't taking calculus in ninth grade, and, you know, they were just doing you know, other things, and these things were offered. But if you didn't seek it out or have someone to tell you, most they didn't, you know, try for it. The parents don't know, know about it. And right. almost all of the public school students, if they ever went to a private school, I don't care what level they were at, they always, they were always one or two grades lower. Yep. And, um, and then I had stepchildren at, lived in the sub um not even the suburbs but kinda like in not fully rural areas but not in the city area and the schooling was so different. Their C student just their basic curriculum was a curriculum they never even offered in our public schools. But our um people are fighting so much for these public schools and I'm like why are we fighting you know, to force somebody to do something for us when it's not their interest. And I know Philadelphia is always based, it's based off of vendors' contracts. They want contracts, and people for 30, 50, 60 years be get, keeping these contracts. And so they fight you when you want to make a change because it hits their pockets. It's never about education or anything, but we keep protesting, fighting. And I say, why can't we use this energy to actually come together and we can have access to better education. So I just thank you for saying that and about, um, you know, just talking and speaking earlier and what he's called reverse engineering. Um, whenever you're doing planning, even if you do a business plan, you start with the end. Once you know what your outcome, what type of outcome you want, now you can build the plan and reach it. If you don't know what you want or what you're shooting for, you know, it's harder to get there. So just thank you yeah. for that. And we have Jason and we have um, Gregory. Right, we have yes. Gregory Merriweather, our host. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Great, great. Um, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy day, but 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 I'm so so glad to be on. Um, just just listening to this uh, this, this man talking about education, I have one quick question, mm-hmm. and my question my question is um how receptive you know when we look at education, um one of the things that that I see that troubles me more so than anything is that you're you're getting it's almost like the blind leading the blind when you when you, when we talk about the parents. Mm-hmm. Because we're finding that the parents have also, you know, been through a system 
that that did not, or either they didn't embrace whatever the education was, they didn't like it. So you know, all of a sudden you, you find a different dynamic with parents. When I was in school, the teacher was always right. Period. Until we got home and had a discussion. Now you have parents who will come and straight up defend the child, maybe even fight a teacher. So how is it going? How how are you dealing with parents, and how receptive are they to you all? When I when when I well when we do our, the programs we do, I mean the parents are absolutely receptive. Actually, I have parents all the time ask me. I've had educators ask me to help them with their children. So now I've always find that quite interesting that they spend all day educating other people's children, but they're asking for help with their own children. So yeah. thus far, the you know I've had very good reception from from folks. Now. Um, I call them gatekeepers. Sometimes the gatekeepers don't want people to to understand what's going on. They like people to be blinded because, of course, mm-hmm. sometimes there's profit in in having people not you know not be aware of um, what kind of opportunities and strategies and and, and techniques that they could use. But um, more often than not, the reception I get is generally positive, certainly from the parents. Beautiful, you know, because when we look and you find that there are you know when 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 the term uh, was used a prison term, you know, and you find that the prison pipeline truly exists. Um, and you find that there are, I, I, during the day I'm in a school, I'm in a, a public school. And what I see there is very traumatizing. You know, I see more students sleeping. I see, I hear different languages. I hear, I see a lot of things that I did not, that did not exist 25 years ago in the school right. system. So, so I just want to commend you for the work that you are doing, and I, you know, and it is it's, it's very odd that the that the teachers are coming to you guys because they they don't they they're handcuffed in a sense they really are, and so I just want to commend you on, on the work you're doing. Uh, no problem. My, my my thing is this. So I have a son, right? I grew up in Gary, and I tell people all the time. Like I said, I'm I, I'm lucky. I I graduate the bottom of my high school class. I mean, there were 224 people in my high school class. I graduated 174. So I was not a I was not a good student by any by any measurement. But I fortunately I met three people, and these three people g- gave me some direction and told me how I could how I could move my life forward. The the problem that exists in our communities today is that people like me. And probably people like you. I don't know where you live. That may that may be an unfair assessment. But for the most part, the people who who help me don't they don't they no longer live in the same communities. So when I was in Gary and I could look and find a guy who was a judge, and he lived a few blocks from me, or a, a guy who was a police officer and also a school teacher and he was a few blocks from me, and a small business owner who lived a few blocks from me, and they all embraced me and adopted me sort of as their son. That was great, but I don't have most kids today don't have access to those kind of people, and so I feel like my responsibility is to give parents as much information as possible because there's just not enough people in our community that can assist the way we used to be able to do. Yeah, and I'm a, I'm an IPS. I, I'm I'm grew up going to Indianapolis public schools. Right. So yeah, I, I definitely understand what you're talking about because I did when I was in high school. A lot of the teachers came out of the school that I went to. And right. so they stayed in the community, and they, they, they really had some pride attached to what they were doing. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah, the Jim, Jim, the Jim Rome was famous for saying, and I, we use this sometimes, is that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so I, that's a question I ask of parents, and that's also a question that I ask of students. 
when I look back at my life, I can say, man, the five people I spent the most time with, one guy's father was a judge, right? Another guy's father owned his own real estate company, but they lived in my neighborhood. They lived in Gary. And while my parents weren't college educated, I knew people who, who were, and I could at least lean and watch what they were doing and figure out maybe how to change my life. But today, the community doesn't look like that. We don't, you know, we drive in and give people advice, and we call it mentoring, but we don't live in the community. Mm, wow, yes. Right. So, so, yeah, so so that's why I'm like, well, then somebody has to tell parents. And, if you know, somebody has to at least give them, give folks a heads up and say, here's there is a way to do it because right now what we're doing is just not working. Okay. Well, Nate, Nate Turner, I really appreciate you coming on our show we need to let people know how they can find out more about you and more about your book, Raising Superman, how you can get you to speak all over the country. You know, how do we get in touch with you? Um, easy. You can uh, look us up on our on our blog, which is the Raising Superman, S-U-P-A-M-A-N um, project, or the, the, web, the website is Raising, R-A-I-S-I-N-G, Superman, S-U-P-A-M-A-N.com. I mean, you can find us there. I mean, there's a whole contact page of if anyone ever needs to reach me for anything or have questions about some of the things we talked about today, they can find us there or on Facebook or on Twitter or Instagram, and we're we're everywhere. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nate Turner, uh, Raising Superman. You can purchase his book on Amazon. Can you get it on Amazon? Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And we got a new book coming out called Stop the Bus, and it's our critique of America's educational system. Fantastic. We'll have to have you back on when it comes out, okay? Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We have so much more on the show. We have Miss, uh, we're talking about vending with Miss Sylvia Nespa coming up. Miss Jacqueline Taylor Adams, are you still here? Oh, we also have Mr. Greg Merriweather. Welcome back, Mr. Yeah. Merriweather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, um, I'm here, just wanted to say, because we have about 15 minutes left, so I wanted to um, go to commercial, and then um, we can come back with Greg and bring Nespa on. Is that all right? That's absolutely perfect. Thank you. All right. Odalene's Catering, Inc. offers great food and desserts homemade to be delivered to your next event or celebration. You can choose to pick up or deliver. Book your next appointment today with Odalene's Catering, Inc. at 646-657-6640. Let us bring taste to your next celebration. And we are back. We um, have our special guest, Ms. Sylvia Nespa Harmon. She's presenting at presenter at the Art of Vending. Miss Sylvia, are you on? Hello. Okay. Well, while we're waiting for Miss Sylvia to come she on, she said, "Yeah, she says one second she'll be on." So maybe okay, we can go to great. Greg. I'm here. How are you, Greg? So what's going on in your life before Miss Sylvia gets on? I know you're you've been um, busy working. I know you have uh, your show, um, your video show up and running. What's going on? 
Tell us a little well, bit about you know, uh, today, today was the, the inauguration day for the Black on Black Network as far as my show is concerned. And so we have uh, my first show um, on the network today. So um, we had Kathy Holloway-Hill on today. Um, and so, you know, just, you know, working out all the kinks, but it was great because we had the opportunity to be in our place and, and pretty much do it our way. So, it was exciting. So, you know, it was a long day, but, but definitely one that, that I'm, uh, I'm happy about because, you know, now, now that we've got that under our belt, I'm looking forward to it growing. Congratulations. Congratulations. Hello, Sylvia? Yes. How are you? Welcome to Beyond Talk Radio with Faith McKinney and Gregory Merriweather. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. And I so enjoyed what I've been listening to so far. Oh, well, I, thank you so much. And, you know, I can't wait to hear what you're you're, you're talking about. Um, the art of vending is so important. You know, as uh, entrepreneurs, African Americans, we need to understand that there is an art. We can't just give our products away. And you have all, <laughs> you have uh, <laughs> You, what you have is so important. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your topic? And um, and I know you're focusing on uh, the BEEDC conference as well. So tell us about what you do, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, you know, I'm really happy to hear you say that vending is important because I've actually spent uh, most of my life dedicated to perfecting this and teaching other people how to make a living. And I started um, basically as a child, you know, as a vendor, but um, more professionally when I was about 21 years old when I lived in Africa, I used vending as a way to raise money to, um, uh, for two humanitarian, two humanitarian women's groups that I was involved in, and we were doing projects to save children. And so my job was to train the women in the group how to sell products off of six-foot tables. And we would go to the malls and different places and figure out how can we get people to buy enough crafts, mostly handicrafts, I've always been in that realm, to um, support the artisans and different artisan villages selling their products to raise money. And little did I know that 30 years later <laughs> I would become an expert at this and Basically, I came back to America after many years of training vending in Africa and also using uh, techniques that I learned while I was living in the south of France on the Riviera. And I remember walking away from a vendor market wearing earrings or carrying some product thinking, why was I so happy to give this guy money for something I don't even want? You know? Something. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I so happy to purchase from vendors that are good at it, that entertain me, that make me feel good about myself. You see? So when I came back to America, yeah, it's interesting. So when I came back to America, and mind you, I spent 18 years living abroad, but when I came back to America in 95, I um, started doing some vending here for myself to raise money so I could go traveling in the summers. But one thing I noticed is that um, vendors never really seemed to know what they were doing. And they were constantly asking me, like, what are you doing in your booth that makes people so happy to be there? I would get a lot of laughter and whatnot and a lot of activity around my business when 
maybe there was only 100 or 200 people at the show, and a lot of them would buy from me. So I thought, you know, one of these days I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to um, put down my tricks of the trade, I call them. <clears throat> well, as time went on, I um, was fortunate enough to hire somebody to work with me who was a, um, a social psychologist. And she wasn't really, she hadn't graduated yet, but she was working on her master's degree in social psychology. And she ran one of my booths at, the, um, at a market, and I would use that booth to train other workers in my business. And she was always amazed at who I could turn into a vendor. People, the most unlikely people, people that you wouldn't say are typically salespeople, not necessarily charismatic or not necessarily communicative or good-looking or, you know, some of the normal things that you would think a good salesperson is. But we had this method that we kept working out, ways to bring people to the table, how to demonstrate products, and how to teach in the booth. We found that if you're a good teacher, you don't have to be a good seller because the products will sell themselves. But you have to engage people in a certain way that makes them feel good. And we found out there are certain things that women always want when they're shopping. Number one is a shopping buddy. <laughs> Most women wow. want a shopping buddy. Exactly. So, And it was funny, I was explaining to one of my princesses today that the reason why I figured out women want shopping buddies because I would have women arguing with their boyfriends and their husbands in my booth because the husband wasn't acting in the way that she felt was supportive of her shopping. She needed a female shopping buddy, and she's trying to turn her boyfriend and her husband into that. And I think I heard about 15 <laughs> arguments, and I thought, you know what? That's what women really want. They want a shopping buddy. They want somebody to run around the booth, help them find what they need, to validate their choices, to help them choose colors, huh? and to engage them in a way that makes them feel like a princess. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know what? That's the, you're, you're absolutely right because I, I had bought a pair of earrings at a conference that I went to, and I really wasn't particularly fond of the earrings, but the story that the vendor told me about how they were made and how he crafted each one and how it went with whatever I had on at the time, you know, I, I kept the earrings and I, and I, I still wear them, even though they're not necessarily my favorite. It's, I'm emotionally um, attached to them, and um, even the person who sold me the earrings. So I, you know, I never really thought about it until today. So you know, they're really truly an art. Yeah. yeah. Well, what it is is that I, you know, I've been thinking long and hard about this for. 20 years, basically, you know, I mean, it really is my passion because I see what it does for people. I see what it does for the villages where I buy these products, and I see what it does for the families that learn these selling techniques and get out of jobs that they don't want, you see. But, you know, sometimes people are living jobs and working in occupations where they're literally living somebody else's life, you know. They're not really pursuing, they're not doing anything that's enriching or creative for themselves. So if I can teach them what I call a, a cash cow, how to make enough money on a Saturday and Sunday to pay for the rest of your bills for the week, then that's a very good thing. So I had to analyze. And what I discovered uh, is that, one, the main thing in America, and I hate to, like, you know, be negative about it, but the main thing in America is that this is a store culture. People, uh -huh. when they think of buying things, they go to a store and they buy things. 
And so in a lot of parts of the world, when people want to buy things, they go to a market, you see. They might go to a store too, but there are a lot more markets. So they're used to interacting with the owner of the booth, right, which is a whole different experience. You're you're shopping for somebody who is an employee and somebody who's Mm -hmm. the owner of the booth. Well, in France, retailing is very considered very, um, I don't know how to express it, it is an art. It, like retail stores, are, they have a lot more stature, people that work in retail stores. Often in America, they're considered very low-level workers, barely trained, uh-huh. you know. So um, so that's one difference in the culture. But what happens is that when vendors decide they want to start a business, they go out into and they book a show, they set up a table, and they expect, well, they set up a display and Oftentimes the display is really beautiful, and they get marketing aids, maybe some business cards or flyers and all kinds of beautiful marketing aids, right? And then they sit down and act like store clerk. So they totally miss it. (laughs) This is a market, not a store. So I have a lesson I explain to people how vending is the exact opposite of selling in a store. When people do that class, they're going, my goodness, why didn't I ever think of this? Because this is not a market culture. You're not exposed to expert marketers and, you know, market vendors. You're exposed to very mediocre market vendors. That is so so fascinating. This this is true. And, and, you know, whenever I go to a a place, a market, or somewhere, a conference where they have a lot of vendors, of course the vendors who are active and engaged in, in what I'm doing or paying attention to me, those are the ones that I'm going to to purchase from because I feel a connection with them, one. And then, you know, two, they're there to explain the product to me, and I feel as if I have uh, a connection. So we only course, have a couple of minutes left. And, and I need to know, I, we need to know to tell our audience how we can get in touch with you, how we can find out more about your book, um, about what your your techniques are, which do you have a website? How can we get in touch with you? Sure. It's called In Spirit Arts Academy. <clears throat> Sorry my froggy voice. I've been literally talking nonstop for two days. <laughs> but it's oh. In Spirit Arts Academy. I In Spirit am... Arts Academy. Yeah. Right. In Spirit Arts Academy dot com. And you can see and there are the lessons mm-hmm. twenty one things vendors should never do. 21 things vendors should always do, 10 worst mistakes that vendors make with their money, just a bunch of different tips and things. that you. Have. I also have a newsletter, and I send out tips and tricks. So if you don't want to pay for a class, you can get the newsletter for free, and then you'll get the information little by little. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ms. Sylvia. Um, so you're going to be a presenter uh Let's see, at the Beads Conference, can you quickly tell us what you're going to be doing there? Yes, well, there I'll be teaching hands-on vendor classes. My style of teaching is not to just give people information and to send them out to figure it out by themselves. My style of teaching is you come into a workshop and you practice the selling scripts. You practice, well, I specialize in head wrapping, and I have a uh-huh. I teach vendors general information, and I also teach people how to duplicate my head wrapping booth, which is a really wonderful way to engage because um, we have like a nine out of ten success rate 
nine out of ten women who we demonstrate a head wrap on will buy it. It's very rare that somebody wow. doesn't buy it. They don't take them off because, you know, because we <laughs> teach them how to do it. And so we, um, so what I'm going to be teaching there is general vendor education that's good for everybody and also how to have the head wrapping booth, how to start a head wrapping business. Okay. Well, we have about 30 seconds. This is Jacqueline Taylor Adams and, and um, Mr. Gregory Merriweather and Ms. Sylvia and Mr. Nate Turner. I want to thank you all for joining us. Miss um, Jacqueline, do you want to take us out? Okay. Well, we have something that we all do here. We it's um, you have thirty seconds in the whole world listening, and we want to know what wisdom would you leave us with. So we're going to start with um, Nathaniel, then we'll go to Sylvia, then we'll go to Jason, um, Gregory, and we're going to end with you, um, Faith. Okay. I don't know if he's still on. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll 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 get we'll skip Mr. Nathaniel today. Well, I've got a word of wisdom. Um, I would say that business skills pay the bills. That's like my slogan. Hmm. It's not your passion, your drive, your termination. You buckle down and learn skills because that's what actually gives you an edge in the business field. Um, uh, Selling skills, manufacturing skills, whatever it is, but I encourage people to buckle down and learn as much as they can from mentors, teachers, other people in the the industry, instead of trying to recreate the wheel and learning it from scratch through trial and error. Much better to learn from the mistakes of other people, let them teach you, than to try to figure it out by yourself. Thank you. Okay, who's next? Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Hi, Jason. Hi, everyone. How's everyone? Hope, hope everyone is doing well. Um, just real quick, you know, it's just a, a piece of personal wisdom that I live by, and it, it is, you know, if you say you're going to do something, always follow through and do it. You know, you'll be a much better off you know, person and, and very helpful in other people's lives, and it's just a, a very good principle to live by. Mm-hmm. I agree. Greg? Gregory? Uh-oh. Oh, he just uh-huh. dropped. <laughs> he had just dropped. Maybe his phone <laughs> dropped. He just dropped like two seconds ago. So just close us out, Faith. Okay, well, I'm going to close this out with a Jim Rohn quote. I know uh, Nate had mentioned Jim Rohn earlier. Uh, if you really want to do something, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. That's All by right. Jim Rohn. All right. Well, I just, you know, we thank everyone for being on Beyond Talk with Faith Moore McKinney and Gregory Merriweather, and we will be back in two weeks. Um, make sure that you do come by the BEEDC conference, BEEDconference.com. Come by the website and start checking out your call to do's so you can get some exercises to help prepare you for the holiday season. So we're going to close out on polymath. We have a lot of people that have um, multiple skills. So we're going to close out on Polymath. This is an instrumental by Anthony Stewart, also a member of the Urban Tech Fair. Peace and love.